Is there an obvious difference that Christ has made and is making in your life? That's the question that is worth asking by all of us. And that's the question that everybody must ask. Everybody has to come to a point in their life at some point where that question is asked. Has Christ made any difference at all in my life? Is Christ making any difference at all in my life? And what does it mean really to be a Christian? That's, That's the other question that has to be asked. Francis Schaeffer said this, The meaning of the word Christian has been reduced to practically nothing because the word Christian as a symbol has been made to mean so little, it has come to mean everything and nothing. That's Francis Schaeffer from The Mark of a Christian. Um, Certainly in our culture, in our society, even as um, liberal as it has gotten, even as far away from foundational biblical principles and truth that it has gotten, um, there are still multiple places all around the country, especially right here where we are in this part of the country, where you can go to a group of people and out of that group of people, a fairly significant number would still identify as being Christians. So much so that if you really want to know where a person is with Christ, what, what difference Christ has made in their life, or, or if He's made any difference at all, you really need to go beyond just saying, hey, are you a Christian? Because especially around here, yeah, everybody's a Christian. Now, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you get my point. Uh, it's very, very easy still in our country and especially easy in our region, our local surroundings here, to identify as a Christian. That term is, is identifiable. It's recognizable. It's something that people find it easy to say, yeah, that's, that's what I am. I would consider myself that. And the issue with that is that a lot of the times the people's attachment to that that label or that identification really isn't always about the fact that they have been made new in Christ, that they have actually surrendered their lives to the living Jesus. It's that they are depending on something else other than Christ alone for that term, Christian. You know, if, if you probe deeper, you'll, you'll maybe find out that uh, they're, they're depending on the fact that they grew up in a Christian home. Maybe they're depending on the fact that they were always in church. Maybe they're depending on the fact that uh, they actually know a lot of Bible verses. Maybe they're depending on the fact that they live a fairly moral life compared to other people, and they don't follow Buddha, they don't, they don't follow Muhammad, and so, you know, yeah, they, they know about Jesus, and they believe that he really did exist, and he came to earth, you know, he came as a baby, and he grew up, and he died on the cross, and maybe they'll even go so, so far to say, you know, I, I believe that, that Easter is because he rose from the dead. Yeah, I, I recognize all of that. But if you were to go even deeper and to examine and evaluate their lives, many times what you'd find is a disconnect between what they claim, what they even say they believe, and what or how they live. And that happens all the time. But if you were to call those people out on it, and maybe this has been your experience, 
When you, when you call out that disconnect or those, those things that are just not in sync, those things that don't match up, um, often you're met with the, the defense or the accusation of, hey, stop judging me. Don't, don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to call me out on this? And the, the fact of the matter is, like it or not, there are distinguishing factors and there are specific characteristics that must be present for salvation to be truly present in a life. There are distinguishing marks and characteristics, marks of authentic Christianity, signs of real life that must be present for that to be true. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, the signs of life, signs of real, true spiritual life, the marks of authentic Christianity. And please understand, this is not just coming from me. Um, Jesus himself established that there would be specific identifiers that would designate and set apart someone from being a pretender you know, or, or a Christian in name only, and someone who is truly a follower of him, someone truly made alive in him, truly a child of the living God. Here's what he had to say in Matthew 7.21, and it's, it's really striking. Matthew 7.21, Jesus himself saying this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then James later on says this, same kind of, of thought here, James two fourteen and 26, he says this, What good is it, my brothers, he's writing to believers, if someone says he has faith, you know, I, I believe, I believe Jesus is the only Savior. I believe He is who He says He is. I believe. I have faith. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In other words, is a a faith that does not result in action, a faith that does not result in different living, is it a genuine faith? A faith that is able to save. That's the question he's asking here. For, and here's, here's really the answer, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, we understand that. I mean, a, a body without the soul is just a corpse, right? It's, it's empty, it's meaningless, it's, it's dead. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also, in the same way, faith without works is dead. So you can say you believe all day long. Oh, I believe. You can say the right things. You can have the right answers. But if you don't back that claim up with a lifestyle that matches that claim, it's, it's meaningless. It's empty. It's useless. It's dead. Faith without the works is dead. It does not say, James is not trying to, to express here that you must work for salvation. That's not it at all. He's saying if you have true faith that leads to salvation, you will have works or acts of righteousness and holiness that verify that. So what all that means, putting it another way, is this. 
how you live shows who you know. What you do shows what you believe. How you live shows who you know. What you do shows what you believe. And the reality is that unless a person goes from simply knowing about Jesus and believing facts about who He is to actually knowing Him personally and surrendering their life to Him instead of man-made religion or their own morality or self-righteousness, which, by the way, doesn't exist. That in itself is a deception. Self-righteousness. But unless they go from that and living for those things, unless they at some point enter into a real redeeming relationship with the risen, reigning, and returning Christ, then no matter what they claim to know, no matter what they claim to believe, no matter how much they convince others or even themselves, they remain lost and unable to live and walk in the will of the Father that that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7.21 or the righteous actions and lifestyle that point to and prove the authentic Christianity that James was talking about. Unless that relationship with Jesus is real and vibrant and active, unless they are depending on Christ and Christ alone for their salvation, for their standing with God, for their merit, for their righteousness, unless they are abandoning all self-effort, all self-reliance, unless they're, they're ceasing to depend on other people's lifestyle that they get somehow uh, by osmosis, you know, transmitted to them, which doesn't happen, unless everything rests on who Jesus is and on what He did and personally embracing that, personally surrendering to that, unless that happens, there is no way any of us can truly live in the will of the Father or do the will of the Father that Jesus says truly marks someone as His. And that, as James says, will prove Your faith is not just empty. It's not just talk. And here's why that's true. Here's why no one can do that unless they have been made new by Jesus Christ, by a real personal relationship with Him. Here's why that doesn't work apart from Christ. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Paul is talking to the Ephesian believers and they are genuinely believers. He's reminding them, though, of what was true of them. He's reminding them of their previous reality. He's saying, guys, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what was true of you. Don't don't fall victim to the lie that you achieved your salvation on your own, by yourself, by your own power. Because that didn't happen. That can't happen. No one can do that. 
He says, this is what was true of you. This is what was true of all of us who are in Christ now, outside of Christ, before him, before he came and redeemed our lives, rescued us out of our sin, changed us completely. Here's what was true of us. We were all dead. Dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's what defined everything about our existence. That was our entire essence. It was wrapped up in death, spiritual death. And here is what is true of those that are spiritually dead. All who are outside of Christ, all who are not in Christ, all who are not in a personal, real, redeemed relationship with Him, here's what's true of everyone that's spiritually dead. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. You know, no one is trying to get to God on their own outside of Christ. No one even has that desire unless it's given to them by the Spirit of God. No one seeks God. No one's trying to get to Him. Everybody's just content to live for themselves and and pursue their own agenda. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good. Not even one. So in, in depraved humanity, in fallen humanity, outside of the, the awakening power of the Spirit, outside of the redeeming work and relationship of Jesus Christ, there's no one who does good, not, not even one. So that the lost person, even when they are doing what would be recognized as good works or good things, they're still done out of selfish ambition or for selfish reasons, and they're not able to be counted as good. It's it's a hopeless, helpless, truly lost situation. What that means is, again, putting all that in a different way, the spiritually dead don't do what is spiritually good. The spiritually dead don't do what is spiritually good. They can't. That's why people that are truly outside of Christ, no matter what they say that they believe or what is true of them, no matter what they've convinced themselves to be true, no matter how much they've done that, because we can do that, you know? We can convince ourselves of a lot. You know, we can, we can buy what we sell pretty easily. But no matter how much that happens, no matter how much they are self-convinced, no matter how much they convince others, the reason that so many people keep coming up against this ceiling, this weight where they can't seem to find fulfillment in anything, the reason they can't find freedom, and the reason that some people, no matter how hard they try, cannot seem to end or break away from this life-ruling, life-dominating, habitual darkness of sin. I'm not talking about you know, occasionally slipping, occasionally falling back into a sinful decision or a choice. I'm not talking about um, here and there, you know, still sinning. We all do that. I'm talking about ruling of the life, like where sin still just absolutely defines the entire person. That's, that's all they are. It dominates them no matter what. They cannot break away from that. I argue the reason for that is because they've not truly been redeemed yet. No matter how much they 
they identify as one. Because only in Christ is there true freedom from the chains of sin. He's the only one who can break that. The only one who can change the the habitual lifestyle living in sin to habitual lifestyle living in righteousness. Not Again, not that you won't ever still fall. Don't, won't ever still choose something that's sinful. You will. You'll struggle against the flesh. But someone who is genuinely in Christ, changed by Him, that no longer defines them. See the difference? And no matter what they claim, no matter what they have even uh, allowed themselves to believe, uh, the proof really is in how they live. And the power of the changed life comes through the actions of that life. And we can do a really good job of convincing other people, and we can do a really good job of convincing ourselves, but at some point, at some point, reality will be revealed. At some point, the actions will still speak louder than the words. They always do. I learned this lesson the hard way very early on in my life. Uh, I went to Greater Beckley Christian School my whole life, and uh, in the elementary, there was... um, always a special chapel where uh, all the elementary kids who could play an instrument or sing, they were given the chance to do special music for chapel. And everybody always looked forward to it. Now, you have to understand, when I was in elementary at Greater Beckley Christian School, I was surrounded by these, um, these child prodigies. I had, I had people in my class that by second grade, they already had mastered the violin. I mean, they could play a Stradivarius. They mastered the flute. They mastered the piano. They had already had vocal lessons. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I was a little intimidated. But I didn't want to be left out either. So uh, you had to go and you told your teacher, here's what I can play, here's what I can do. I would like to be you know, signed up for special music in chapel. And there was a, a, a date, you know, a running, running schedule. And so they'd sign you up and they'd, they'd fill you, your name in. And then on your given day, you'd come, you'd bring your instrument, and you'd do your thing, right, for special music. So here comes um, my day. And before that, uh, I didn't tell the teacher what my instrument was. And, and they asked, he said, well, Chris, what, what's the instrument you're going to play? What are you going to bring? And I said, it's a surprise. It's a surprise. Now, right away, my teacher should have had alarms going off, right? Whoop, 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 trouble, danger, Will Robinson, danger. And my teacher at the time, by the way, was someone many of you know, Mrs. Kathy Schaefer. Ring a bell? Mrs. Schaefer? Yep. And uh, so I said, it's a surprise. And unknown to me why she let that go, she did. She just said, okay. She took a risk. And so the day of my special music, the Chesley Concerto, arrived. So chapel's there, across the road. It's in the, the old building there. That's where we met, you know. And uh, so the day came, and I got up there, and Mrs. Schaefer says, Chris, where's your instrument? And I said, I've got it right here. And I pulled out my prized kazoo. (laughs) And you need to understand, I had sold to my whole class. I had sold to Mrs. Schaefer. I've always been a good salesman. 
Um, the fact that I truly knew how to play an instrument, and I had it down, and I could play any song you wanted on my instrument. I sold everybody on this, so people were kind of like excited because they had never known me to play an instrument before. So this was like, wow, we can't wait to see what he does. So I get up there, and I get ready to play Jesus Loves Me, and I just went, I went to it. And I mean, and you know how a kazoo sounds, right? You just hum in the thing, and it buzzes, and that's what, it, what happened. And, and to my great despair, no one was in awe. No one was, was crying at the beauty of the music. No, they were crying out of laughter. My entire elementary school was laughing. All the teachers were laughing. Mrs. Schaefer almost fell out of her chair. And I just stopped in the middle of playing and hung my head and ran off. Yep, never touched an instrument since. (laughs) My point in all that is, as funny and silly as that story is, um, sadly, that happens on a far more serious scale where many people all through their lives sell other people on the fact that, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm just like you are. Or worse still, they, they sell themselves on it. They've convinced themselves and, and bought into what the enemy is telling them and deceiving them, which is that, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, you're, you're a Christian, and what makes you a Christian is this and this and this and this and this, but missing from that list is Jesus and Him alone. What's missing from that list is a point at, at, in time in their life where they, they truly surrendered all that they were to all that He is. A time where they said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and Lord. I want to go from just believing about you to really knowing you personally. I want you to invade my life with your life and live your life in and through mine. If that never happened, if that has never happened, then no matter what you might know about Jesus, no matter what you might know about the Bible, no matter what you might live like in terms of a, quote, good life, you remain lost because it all comes down to who Jesus is, what he did, and what you have done with him, and what you've done with what he's done for you. That's what it all comes down to. You guys know what a semicolon does, right? Most of you, probably a lot of you. It's where the person writing, the author, could stop. He, he could stop in the sentence there. He could stop in the story that he's telling. It could just, I mean, it, it stands on its own, what has been said before that semicolon. But the semicolon allows him to continue on. The semicolon says, but wait, there's more. I'm not done yet. And we just got done saying that the spiritually dead don't do spiritually good things, right? We just got done saying that how you live shows who you know, and what you do shows what you believe, and the opposite of that is true. But the good news for all of us, the good news for everyone, is that the story doesn't have to end there. The story, our story, my story, your story, doesn't have to end in the reality of spiritual death. 
It doesn't have to stop there. It doesn't have to end there. Because here's the really good news for everyone. And this is why it's worth sharing and telling what you have yourself come to know and believe. That in Christ, and in Christ alone, God provided a remedy to our previous reality and the ability to be authentic. In Christ, God provided a remedy for our previous reality and the ability to be authentic. Here's what Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5 say. But God, isn't that just right there? Isn't that just fantastic? But God, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's what Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 said. Paul says, you were dead in your sins. You were not alive and well. You were dead and useless and empty. But God, I mean, that right there is just good, good news. It's not the end of the matter. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, listen to this, made us alive with Christ even though, or even while, we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. We know that a a dead person ceases to have any benefit to the, the living society, right? I mean, there's nothing more a person who has died can do for others. They they can't bring anything to the table. They can't contribute anything. Uh their time is over. They're I mean, they're not even there anymore. It's it's a shell. They can't bring anything of value to life because they've lived their life, right? But the miraculous, amazing thing is that even though we were spiritual corpses, just rotting, useless, empty, meaningless, had no value to God whatsoever in our sinful state, God still, in His amazing love and logic-defying grace, looked down at us in our, in our spiritual death and said, I love you, and I love you so much, I'm going to breathe life into you, I'm going to resurrect you from your death, I'm going to make you alive, and not only am I going to make you alive, I'm going to adopt you into my very own family. All by grace, something that we could never earn or deserve. The complete opposite of what we deserve. In Ezekiel In the Old Testament, you still see grace. In the Old Testament, you still see God at work. In the Old Testament, you see resurrection of the spiritually dead. And here's what Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says. It's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful hope. And it's a beautiful reality ultimately seen in and given only in and through the person of Jesus. Here's what it says. Here's God's promise. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone, or you could also, you know, view that as a a heart of sin, a heart of rebellion, and give you a heart of flesh. See the exchange that's taking place here? I'm going to remove your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to do away with this old, sinful, 
death-filled heart and, and this old spirit that is hopelessly bent towards sin, I'm going to replace it with a new heart and a new spirit and a, a heart of flesh. And he goes on, I will place my spirit, the Holy Spirit, within you. And the placing of, of that spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, the placing of that within us. Here, look what it does. Look what it happens to us. Look what it results in. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. See, the, the person outside of Christ, we've already talked about this, but it bears repeating. The person outside of Christ cannot do what is good. They cannot please God in themselves. They're, they're totally unable. All that they are bound to is the weight of the law, which is a crushing weight. It keeps them from from finding freedom in and through Christ. All they're bound to is the chains of their own sinful, selfish nature. It is impossible for someone outside of Christ to please God. Totally impossible. Which is why, for us as believers, we really need to stop expecting the unbeliever to act like a believer. It makes no sense. It's ludicrous. They, they are acting true to their nature. You know, when you, when you see an unbeliever and you just get disgusted and, you know, and full of all this righteous indignation and full of hostility and harshness, which we're all prone to, let's just be honest about it, we can all play the Pharisee really, really well, right? Really, really easily. But we need to remember, of course this is how they act. Of course this is how they live. Why do we expect the lost person to be able to please God and live in a holy or righteous manner? No, they can't. Can't. But through God, through Him giving us a new heart and a new spirit, His spirit, He then allows us and enables us and empowers us and causes us to follow His statutes. His commands, His principles, to observe His ordinances, to walk in His will. But you can't do it apart from the Spirit of God. can't do it. That's why it is such amazing, good, and needed news that in Christ, we are miraculously given that new heart. We are miraculously given that new life that then enables us uh, to walk in the will of the Father. It enables us to live a life of holiness and righteousness that shows that we have been made new, that our faith isn't just dead. And this, my friends, this is the most important, the most essential, and really the first sign of life. This is the first and the most vital mark of authentic Christianity. Because without a new heart and a new life, Without that happening, we have no hope or ability of being able to do any of the things that are also signs of life that we'll be talking about in the weeks to come. Hopefully you got that card as you came in last week, and there's still cards out there that I encourage you to take and, and, uh, and hand out. Give it to someone who isn't part of a church family you know. That you, give it to someone you know that is outside of Christ and say, hey, I'd love for you to come and hear what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. We're talking about signs of life and marks of authentic Christianity. And tell them, you know what, I'm the first to admit there's a lot of people who, who do a really good job of playing and acting, but 
aren't really genuinely believers. And I know a lot of us can be totally hypocritical. Why don't you come and, and just join me as I go through this, as I learn about what it means to really have signs of life and, and what the marks of authentic Christianity look like? I mean, I'm going through this too, and I'm learning, and I need to hear this, so would you come with me? Do that. And all those other things that we're going to be talking about the next few weeks, it all flows out of this right here, a new heart and a new life. Because without those things, you can't do any of the other things. Without that sign of life first being true of you and that mark of authentic Christianity being present, you're not going to have any of the others. So this is absolutely vital and essential. All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in your word we do see what authentic Christianity looks like. I thank you that in your word you've given us signs of life that we can match our life up to, that we can model our life after, that we can look at and see, okay, do I have that? Is that true of me? Or is that lacking? Am I lacking in that? What am I basing my label of Christian on? And we're able to look into your word and see what it means to be a true Christian. Thank you for loving us enough to do that. None of this is about judgment. None of this is about uh, elitism. This is about you loving us enough to give us the tools and the resources to make sure we are genuinely in your son and therefore genuinely your child. Thank you for that. I pray that if there's anyone here at all that is not yet to truly give themselves completely over to Jesus, to Him alone, receiving in their life all that He has done for them, then I pray that today would be the day where they abandon everything else they've been holding on to, everything else they've been trusting in that will never hold them up, and that they will in turn, and in place of that, fully trust Jesus alone for their salvation and their new life. And for those of us who already have that new life, thank you. Please help us to live that out. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. And help us to make sure that we talk and walk the faith that we have before others around us who don't. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.